0: Welcome back, history fans. Today, we're going to be talking about imperialism, nationalism, and nation states. So it's a little bit of everything here. So um, let's see how far we get. We might end up uh, splitting this up a little bit. So let's, uh, let's start talking about some imperialism. So here's your textbook definition is the forceful extension of a nation's authority by territorial conquest establishing economic and political domination of other nations that are not its own colonies. Okay, what's the basically of this imperialism definition? So imperialism basically is one country taking over another country, setting up economic and political control over that country. So just to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about here. So, all right, now when we're talking about this imperialism, um, there's usually kind of reasons for imperialism or, you know, like why we're doing it. So we're going to break this down into four areas. Economic, nationalistic, militaristic, And humanitarian. So uh, maybe a good way to remember these, and you can remember whatever order you want, but every man needs hair. Every economic, man, militaristic, needs nationalistic, and hair, humanitarian. So whichever way you remember those, uh, those four are reasons for taking over another country. So, um, let's talk about economic first, so the every part of every man needs hair. Um, So, if you remember, we just got done talking about industrialization. So, we're building up all these different, you know, materials and new products and so forth. Well, we need raw materials. We need resources to make these work. So, whatever it is that we need, let's just take over a country that has what we need. Now, also, Maybe we have a lot of products, but we don't have anyone to sell them to. Well, that's easy, too. We just take over a country and we force them to buy from us. So when we talk about economic, it's usually we need something like a natural resource or we're taking over a place so we can force them to buy from us. All right, the next factor, militaristic. All right, so basically we're taking over land because we need it for a strategic Purposes, so maybe we need to defend a certain area. So let's take over land that's near there, and then we can set up a military base on that land. And now we have a strategic value. Think of it like playing um, tic-tac-toe. Um, you know, whatever your first move is, the reason you pick it is because it's strategic. So same thing here. We're taking over an area because it is strategic. And now that we have control over this area, maybe we're keeping it because we can refuel military vessels when we go there, or maybe we need to uh, protect them uh, or protect a region for us. All right, our next one, humanitarian. So basically this one is we're taking over an area because we want to help People, I know this sounds a little kind of goofy here, but we're taking over an area because we want to help that area. And usually this is spreading Western ideas or spreading religion. Um, Some of the kind of historical ways of referring to it is helping out backwards people. And that's not really accurate today, but that was kind of the way it was seen of back then. All right, and our next one, our last one, nationalistic factors, and I'm going to start with definition of nationalism. It is the unique cultural identity of a people based on common language, religion, and national symbols. Okay, what does that mean? Basically, having pride in one's nation and feeling a connection to that country, to your country. And Basically, nationalism sees human activity as kind of national in nature. So whatever it is that we're doing within our country, that's kind of for us. So um, usually we kind of gauge it in a few different ways. So like, for instance, nationalism. Usually we demonstrate this by having national symbols. America, the bald eagle. We have a national culture. So like, what is it that surrounds our culture? Maybe for us, the culture of consumerism. I don't know. National music. What do we listen to? Maybe a rap hip-hop, or rock and roll, jazz, blues, that's all American, national literature, um, maybe important documents or authors, you know, Mark Twain or Samuel Clemens, same person, that would be considered national literature, uh, national folklore, um, stories we tell, Johnny Appleseed, national mythology, maybe not so much for America, but maybe Bigfoot, national identity, like, how do we all see ourselves, that's a tough one for America, maybe, um, Maybe national identity would be like, uh, you know, it used to be people thought of us as like cowboys, so maybe cowboys. National dishes, as in food. I mean, you can't get more American than American apple pie. Uh, National sports, um, you know, probably the great American pastime, baseball. Modern day would probably be football. Um, National heroes, who do we look up to? You know, that's like a George Washington founding fathers. And finally, national values. Like, what do we value? For us, probably space, like having, you know, like, you know, personal space maybe, um, and uh, maybe money uh, for values. So, anyhow, um, so, anyhow, going back to this nationalism thing. So, like, when we're trying to distinguish one nation from another, there's usually a, a few things that we look at. You know, language, if someone's speaking our language, you know, that's a pretty quick way to tell, like, hey, you're probably from somewhere else. Culture and values, um, you know, just, like, the things that they value and the way that, you know, their cultural, you know, things that they pick up from their culture, or maybe cultural dress or something. So, now nationalism can get broken down a little bit further. Um, so, for instance, cultural nationalism, pride in one's own culture, basically it defines a nation by a shared culture. And the idea behind this is that you can't just be born somewhere and have that culture. Culture is something you experience throughout your whole life. You can't just be like, well, I was born in America, so I'm an American. It's like, no, you're not American until you experience, you know, 4th of July, blowing stuff up. So that's cultural nationalism. Another one would be religious nationalism, and that defines an entire nation by a shared religion. So think of a country where everyone is that one religion, um, I can think of one that a hundred percent. It's also probably the smallest country in the world, and that's Vatican City, which actually is a country. And I would imagine pretty much everyone there is Catholic. And the interesting thing about nationalism is it doesn't just, you know, it's not just like the entire country, it's nationalism. There's actually sometimes movements even within national, you know, nations to keep nationalistic ideas. And, you know, um, You know, because sometimes culture gets, you know, we adopt other people's cultures and sometimes there's like a need to bring back, um, you know, someone, you know, your culture ways and so forth. Um, So sometimes we see this with nationalist politicians And they usually campaign for, um, you know, bringing back national ideas. So, for example, here, um, a nationalist politician, they would be all about strengthening national unity. So bringing people together, usually there's, you know, something bad going on, like a crisis within the country. And they're like, we need to bring together, you know, we need to get out of war. We need to bring our troops home. Uh, We need to buy American products to to fight this, you know, terrible economic uh, situation we find ourselves in. So, strengthening national unity. Another one, emphasizing national identity, like who we are. Um, You know, getting rid of things that aren't from your country. Um, You know, in in extreme cases, um, you know, you have xenophobia. And xenophobia, definition time, is a fear or contempt of foreigners. So, think of phobia, fear, xenophobia, um, this fear of foreigners. And, you know, sometimes when you see these nationalist politicians or countries that are focusing on nationalism, they will be limiting immigration, so not letting as many people into the country, or even in extreme cases, you'll see ethnic cleansing where they'll get rid of an entire group of people. So, you know, think about Hitler and the Nazis, sadly. Uh, Another thing nationalist politicians usually do is they'll take over land that is considered part of the homeland. So a couple examples, uh, Hitler took over Austria and was like, hey, it's okay, this is part of, part of Germany, I'm just going back to get ethnic Germans. And the rest of the world was like, okay, don't do it again. And then he kind of wanted autonomy for state land, and they're like, okay, fine, but stop after this. And then he took over Czechoslovakia, and people are like, all right, stop after this. And then he took over Poland. And then we're like, okay, now it's wartime. A modern day example, or somewhat modern day at least, is... Um, the whole thing with Russia and the Ukraine and taking over the southern part of Crimea, um, and even if you go farther back, you could say Russia in 2008 when it took over South Ossetia, uh, which was part of Georgia. So taking over land, part of the homeland. Um Sometimes we see economic nationalism, where a nationalist politician will be like, you know what, we need to you know protect our interests, and usually it's an economic policy, and it's, it's kind of protectionism, we need to protect our economy from the rest of the world, so it's like, only buy local goods, don't buy any foreign goods, and they'll put a whole bunch of taxes on foreign goods, and they kind of get rid of free trade. And, you know, kind of moving on here, one of the last ones, a nationalist politician, they're almost always going to be seen hanging out with national symbols. Um, just look at any kind of presidential race. There is always the national flag of whatever country it is in the background. So um, Now, when we talk about taking over other countries, um, one of the first things they do is... Whatever country you're taking over, their culture and, and everything they have is not high priority. Um, and one of the first things we do is we make them learn our language. So if we take over a country, why try and learn their language? We make them learn ours. So we make them adapt to our culture, our way of doing things. So, um, and the, the way they kind of stop their language from spreading is, They make it illegal to be taught in schools, so you can't go to school. You have to speak, you know, say, English for the sake of argument, since, you know, it's just easier to communicate this way for me, so I'm going to use English as an example. So you take over a country and say, okay, now all the schools, that's that's all going to be English. That's going to be our nationalistic ideas of moving on. So basically you're trying to make them like you, and this would be an example of a nationalistic factor. So our way is the best way, so we're forcing them to be like us. All right. Um, also, when taking over in areas, we said economic. A lot of times we take over areas, it's for exploitation and profit purposes. So basically, we take the resources out of there and then we refine them elsewhere and make money off of them elsewhere. Um, often, they don't want to, imperialistic nations don't want to give too much technology to the countries that you're taking over. Um, So, you don't teach them how to refine it because if they start to learn how to refine whatever the natural resource is, um, you know, taking crude oil and turning it into usable gasoline, um, or taking, um, you know, uh, metal out of the ground and turning it into copper wire or something like that. All right, if they learn how to do this, there's a chance they could eventually become independent. And sadly, most of the time, it's all about exploiting the natural, um, you know, the natural people, the natural habitat, and everything that's there, the indigenous population. And continuing on with that is um, with labor, they generally exploit the natural resource that is people. And so they 'll force people into working for them they 'll keep them as slaves. Um, you know think of it like industrialization level of exploitation of the workforce. All right, Another thing when taking over a country, sometimes they 'll mess up the political system there by this thing called gerrymandering. and to give you a, te- a textbook definition of gerrymandering. It is the redrawing of voting districts by state legislatures to benefit one political party over another. Um, Often um, you'll hear it referred to as redistricting sometimes. So, all right, basically what gerrymandering does is you move a whole bunch of people around and you try to get maybe a majority in one area or the other, but at least in this respect, what they do is they'll move a whole bunch of people around and get them to fight with one another, and if they're too busy fighting with one another, they won't notice the imperialistic country coming in and stealing all of their natural resources. So basically, you make everyone fight each other, and then they can't work together to fight you. So think of it as divide and conquer. If they're too busy fighting each other, they can't fight you. Um... And and also another part of this, um, this messing with the political structure. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll take like um, a person from the community and put them in control. But really, they're not in control. They're kind of a puppet government for whoever the imperialistic country is. So basically, I'm whispering in someone's ear, hey, do this, do that, say this, say this, and say that, and whatnot. And, you know, people are more apt to listen to this person because it's from their community. But really, they're taking all of their uh, cues from someone else. So anyhow, just kind of a little example there. All right. Another way that is being used to control some of these areas of the world um, that are being imperialized, at least historically, is to control people, is to make them more like you. So um, if you think about it, if if they have the same views as you, it's easier for them to get along with you. Think of it as like Stockholm Syndrome. Eventually you start to identify with your captors. So um, often they would do this by forcing them to adopt their ways and kind of brainwash them. And one of the big ways they... um, They force them to be more like the imperialistic countries is to force them to be the same religion as them. And they figure, well, if we all have the same views and and want the same things, then there's less of a chance of, you know, revolting and and so forth. All right. Now we're going to take a little break here. And we're going to talk about like nation states and some examples. So we're getting into more specifics here. So this first part of the podcast that we went over was more about imperialism and nationalism, and you know, kind of the motivations and how to take over another country, and you know, what to say, what to do to get people more like you, and so forth. So now I'm going to give you some more specific examples of how countries have dealt with this or have not dealt with this, and what has happened to the their cultures or Other people's cultures have moved in and all those kind of things. So I'm going to stop here with this podcast and I'll pick up with another one in just a moment.